about build an environment of pursuing curiosity. You know who you are, who you really are. Like <laughs> you are listening to Everyday Educators on 1921 Radio. Everyday Educators, and we educate every day. Welcome, loved ones, to the Everyday Educators podcast. I am your host, Jeremy, and my boss, Naomi. What's going on, Nay? Hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. And today, we have a very, very special guest. He is a nonprofit consultant, an executive coach, a music director. He could have been in Drew Hill, west side of Chicago's very own Mr. Mike Pope of Forte Music Group. <sighs> What's going on, brother? How you doing, man? I'm doing well, man. Thank you for having me. And thanks for that great introduction. I've never been introduced quite that way before. I appreciate it. <laughs> hey, man, you know, we try to we try to uh, give you flowers while you're still here. Shout out to Nori. And so in honor of you, Mike, we I got a music question. Ooh, OK. To kind of start off for our check ins. So. If you had to perform a song, this is for everybody. If you had to perform a song, acapella, without missing a word, what song would you sing? I'm talking about ad libs, everything. What's my prize if I get it right? Because that'll determine how much I care. Your prize would be a first class all expense paid trip to your destination of choice and a nice per diem when you get there i got one okay well you don't got to perform it but just what i was gonna say i would (laughs) i would just do uh Oh man, what's the name of that song? I mean, do I need to know the name of the song too? Wow, um, I mean, how, how <laughs> this is I an audio experience. How are people gonna know what you're talking about? <laughs> I would do "I Can't Help Falling in Love with You" by Elvis. Super simple, super simple lyrics. Not a bunch of ad libs. Yeah. Okay. All right. Little Elvis, first time on the show being brought up. Okay. What about you, Nay? <laughs> Are you already know I'm going with giving you the best that I got by Anita Baker. Ooh. Oh, your wedding song. Okay. Yeah. Uh I would choose Where I Wanna Be by Downell Jones. Ooh. Ooh. That song got me so much action in like high school <laughs> and all kinds of play. That was my like go-to song when people were like, Oh, you can sing, sing something. That was like my go-to song for like two decades. See? Uh, the- and then you betrayed us for Elvis. But, but see, I'm not you gonna... asked the wrong question. You asked what song would I sing where I didn't mess up any of the lyrics. I'm notorious for making up some lyrics. Like, I will make up a lyric uh... every single time, even if I've been singing a song for 30 years. I will make up a lyric. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah. So, uh, we're, all in, we're all musicians here mm-hmm. of various instruments. Nay, what instrument do you have the most experience on? The violin. Okay. All right. And um, I'm curious, why didn't you continue with music? I hit a point where I just didn't 
if I didn't love it for real, then it wasn't a point in doing it. I was like 18. I was a freshman in college. I was taking lessons still. And I was just like, yeah, I'm not about to spend the rest of my life doing this. And I didn't really see myself doing it as a hobby either. And so while I appreciate my 12 years of intense music training, I just didn't see myself as a musician. I also will say, I think that representation is very important because like when I was playing, Mary Benari was like the only person because she was on like Overnight Celebrity with Twister and like then it became cool to play the violin for like that 90 day stint. Um, (laughs) But now that we, um, things have evolved, we have social media, all these things, like you see so many like black violinists that do play like contemporary songs and they are included in like Beyonce concerts and all those things that I just didn't have. And so every now and then I think about like, what if I was a kid now, would my path be different? Because I might feel differently about dragging my violin case around and going to lessons after school instead of being able to hang out. Back then it just felt like it just wasn't cool and it felt like my mom was making me and there wasn't like um i didn't have a connection to it the music that i liked and i listened to in my room or in the car with my mom was not what i was learning and Mm, i just feel like now there's a there's a different way to to teach um kids music like everybody knows i love the r&b money podcast and so Tank was talking about how his son's piano lesson, she was like, what do you like? And he was like, I mm-hmm. like the Spider-Man song. And she was like, okay. And so that is, was like his first introduction to to music and every like your scales and all that stuff can still come out of the Spider-Man song or whatever else. Um, it don't have to come out of the Suzuki music book. So that's a very long answer, but that's what no, that's real. That's real. And um, Mike, other than your voice, do you play any other instruments? I do. I play piano and I play, uh, I'm an amateur cellist. So I, I'm right there with Nay where like cello was always something I thought I was like really interested in, but never really got the opportunity to explore. And it was always something that was kind of like at arm's reach, kind of too far away. Uh, I studied classical music in college, so I went to a music conservatory in Northeast Wisconsin called Lawrence University. Uh, Really great school. However, there was still a little bit of that, you know, classical music is the top music, you know, kind of air back when I was there. That's changed a lot. Their new uh, dean of, not new, he's been there like 10 years, but their dean of music uh, is finally changing some of those things where they meet the kids where they are and like let them learn the things that interest them most and then branch out from there but uh i agree with what you're saying Nate. so it's like it wasn't really cool necessarily to you know have a violin or a cello growing up but like now i think of like people like sister strings and black violin and even my cello teacher i chose my cello teacher his name is jordan hamilton because he's a hip-hop cellist this man is doing loop tracks and rapping and singing over like rap beats and stuff while playing the cello uh, there's Nine Nine, the producer, who's a hip hop cellist as well too. Like, there's so many more, you know, acts that are diverse and that do the things that I'm most interested in. That I'm like, oh, let me pick this back up again. So, um, 
that's been a journey kind of trying something new as an adult, especially when you're good at something else in that same realm. It's hard sucking at something for the first time again. No, that's real. That's real. Um, so I played I'm a lot of instruments, but mostly baritone in grammar school and then drums in high school. Um, and I remember like the football games playing against and battling like the other drum lines. Shout out to Nick Cannon putting a battery in in the backs of all the young men who who went to join the drum line, which kind of leads me to my first story for this week's actual factual. So today, uh, September 16th, the University of Nebraska will be debuting this year's band when they play against Northern Illinois University. Mm-hmm. Nebraska's band comprises of 299 members. Mm. This is players, drum majors, and color guardsmen. So that's a lot of people, right? And um, I had to see who had the largest band in America. Any guesses? Any guesses, guys? I'm just going to say FAMU. I don't know if that's right, but... It ain't HBCU. Sorry. Oh, who has the largest band? Jackson State. Are they HBCU? It is. So the answer is an HBCU. So. Oh, man. Texas A&M. My boy for 100 points. Oh, that was right? Yeah. Woo! Yeah. (laughs) So they have over 400 members in their band. What? I know. That's crazy. So fun fact, Google says the University of Notre Dame has the oldest marching band in America, established in 1845. And Allen High School in Texas has the largest high school band. How many people you think in their band? 150. Mm-hmm. Like 600. 800. What? That was the thing. Like, in like the 90s and 2000s, all these like high school were competing to have like the largest band. And so I just remember having a conversation with somebody recently where they were like, yeah, growing up, my school had like the largest band in the Midwest, and I'm like, okay, why is that a thing y'all excited about? I'm like, it doesn't mean you're good; it just means you got a bunch of people playing on this field. Man, that's wild. Eight hundred kids, and you said a high school. Yeah. How many kids do they have? Like All three- of them. Yeah. Every child on this campus is also in the band. So, my question to you guys, sorry about that, is what is your most memorable performance? I have one. Go for it. Go first. Oh no, uh, Nate, did you want to go? I let you go. You're the guest. I'm still thinking. That, so the issue is, is I have so many because uh, one of the great things about being a professional musician is like you never really know what gigs kind of come next. That's so. True. Uh, there's so many memorable experiences for me that were memorable for different reasons. Mm. So I guess I'll share the one that I usually share the most often. So people always ask me, I love, I love uh, whiskey. So whiskey's my jam. People are like, oh my God, you love whiskey and you love singing. Let's go do karaoke. Karaoke is like hell for me. Here's why. First of all, everybody expects you to be like the best performer because you are a professional singer. Yeah. Second, it's like, I don't want to work. Like, I'm on break right now. If you just like, yeah, me like going, that's not fair. That's like, not... I don't want to work. If you just let me come to your job and be like, 
can you do this report for me while you're drinking? No, you don't want to do that. Right. And then uh, third, it gives me a lot of anxiety because of those two things. And then finally, it's not really as exciting for me because like alcohol is a depressant and it's also a de- it dehydrates you. Yeah. So, you're drunk, you're feeling tipsy, you're like, oh, I can sing any note in the world. And the next thing you know, your voice is screwed for the next, you know. Yeah. So for me, it's like, it's not, the risk is not worth the reward. So me going out with some friends, having a great time singing, uh, and then the next day me not being able to talk, not worth the reward. The risk is not worth the reward. Primarily because I like to share this story. So one day, uh, this had to have been like 2013-ish, I was on my way into work on the train, on the CTA, and I get a text message from one of my old choir conductors with just a PDF of some sheet music in a language I've never seen before. So I'm like, oh, okay, she definitely meant to send this to somebody else. So like, I texted her, was like, hey, I think you meant to send this to another Michael. She's like, no, I meant to send it to you <laughs> singing at the Nelson Mandela Memorial Service tonight um, in Chicago. And I was like, oh, okay. And then she was like, oh, that's the South African National Anthem. Their uh, national anthem is in three languages. It's in Afrikaans, it's in Danish, and English. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I saw this Danish sheet music that I've never seen before. I was like, what is this? Uh, and so it was really cool because like, I went to work, learned this song while I was at work, mm-hmm. had like a 20-minute rehearsal beforehand, and then went to go perform this in front of a, like, a group of African dignitaries at Nelson Mandela's memorial service. It was one of my like most magical musical moments because like my choir conductor is like a world music expert and she teaches South African music all over the country. That's and awesome. She uh, taught us these few songs. We performed these songs and like I'd never performed it for a group of South Africans before. Mm-hmm. So like usually you perform it as like white audience and they're like, yay, pretty African music. But like, yeah these Africans like lost their mind. They were like screaming at the top of their young lungs. They were utilating. They're like, do it again, 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 again. So like we performed this song like three times. They joined along with us. They taught us some dances. And it was just one of my most magical moments because like, I think about it all the time. Like what if I went out drinking the night before or yeah. done karaoke and like messed up my voice and then I would have to say no to that opportunity. So yeah. that's probably one of my favorite musical moments. I love that. That's cool. Mine is, I used to play for All City Orchestra. And what is cool about All City is that there are multiple All City organizations or um, groups. So I play for the All City Youth Orchestra, which included like strings, brass, the whole drums, the whole bit. And, but there was like all city jazz band, all city gospel choir, all city dance. And so what they did was that at the end of the school year, all of us played at um, downtown at the, the symphony center. And so I think about, it's like 400 kids from all over the city. And I just always reflect on that opportunity. One, being able to play where the Chicago symphony plays but also the experience of like being in that space and connecting with other kids that also played instruments and did other cool things. I just look forward to it every year that I played with them. It was just like really, really great experience. So that's mine. Okay. I, uh, 
I'm sure I've seen you. I've been to so many of those performances. Uh, my grandmother was one of the head chore choreographers for that. Um, she taught at Beasley for a thousand years, so she taught dance at Beasley. So, so question, guys: Did you all have a favorite toy growing up? like yeah. to share what, what was your favorite toy um i had a robot that was his head was in a circle it was clear like his head was clear but he had like i guess what would look like chuck taylor's with like wheels on the bottom and he would like buzz all around the house and he broke one day and I was like so sad and I kept him. I still play with him I just had to push him because his like little motorized wheels didn't work but I loved him he was probably my favorite oh very sweet what about you brother Pope I used to have a Barney stuffed animal that I took with me everywhere until I was like five or six uh and I could have sworn one time that Barney ate a, uh, one of those little Salerno butter cookies. And so I spent the rest of my like, childhood trying to get him to eat another one again. And then as I grew a little bit older, I really got into like Megazords from Power Rangers. And so like mm -hmm. every Christmas I would get whatever the new Megazord was. And I remember one in particular was kind of similar to yours where like it had some kind of mechanism in it where like the feet rolled so it could like walk mm -hmm. on its own. Um, and that was probably one of my favorite toys for like years until I got into video games. So, uh, ironically, my favorite toy is also a Power Ranger. Hey. I like the one they had the big chest and like their head would like flip. flip. In, yeah. Those were the those were the rawest. So, funny story there. I had one of those, and that was the first time I understood how to do discounts on like percentages off. So, like, uh, Woolworths was closed in downtown, and they had like a seventy or ninety percent off discount. And I was like, Ma, I want this. I want this. She's like, we can't afford that. And she's like, and I was like, but it's on sale. She's like, how much? And I was like, I don't know. It's like 70% off. She's like, well, how much is it? And I'm like, I don't know. And so she taught me how to do math to figure out the percentage of stuff like in the store. And that was always just like a big, like, you know, aha moment for me. Every time I think about, you know, having to do some math about like the percentage off of something, I think about this red Megazord where like, if you touch the back, the head flipped into the, uh, inside of it and like the other mask came out yeah so power rangers had a big 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 impact on my childhood for sure look at that games and math coming together well toys and math rather one of the objectives here at everyday educators is to identify new and interesting jobs that are being created and in that spirit our second story comes from lego.com so Sister Kezia, her last name was not listed, is the new archiving assistant from the Lego Group Archives. <clears throat> um, so the article says that she's responsible for the paper and product archives for all the Lego builds. Hmm. And is even asked to build old models for corporate displays. Okay. She is a corporate historian preserving the history and records of the company and gets to play for Legos for a living, which leads me to another question. 
when you were a kid, where did you see yourself working? And so I can share first. So I love dinosaurs, all things dinosaurs, land before time. I watched every single, all 13 movies of those to the VHS's wore off. And so I wanted to work at Jurassic Park because I wanted to be an archaeologist or at a museum to like collect artifacts for uh, like Indiana Jones. So like, where did y'all want to work? So when I was a kid, I really, really, really wanted to be a singing computer scientist. Like I wanted to do computer stuff during the day and like sing at night and then maybe find a way to combine those two businesses where like I serenade you while I come into your house or your office and fix your computer. I'm so happy that didn't work out. <laughs> I'm so happy that did not work out. That's hilarious. That is pretty funny. Um, I, at one point, probably around like fourth grade, I wanted to be an engineer. Then my mom had like a very frank conversation with me and she was like, baby, math in your thing. So you gotta make other choices. And then I remember maybe like a year or two later telling her like, I wish I had a job where I just talked all the time. I like to do that. And she was like, there's jobs for that. So we talked a lot about being like a spokesperson um, for a company. And then ultimately, I did land a job where I talked all the time. So it worked out. Ta-da. So that's beautiful. This comes from Maddie McGarvey of the New York Times. So according to the 2022 census data, child poverty has risen to above 12%, which equates to about 9 million children living in poverty in America. This is up from 5% in 2021. Um, the article cites the spike is mostly attributed to the government rolling back support for families in the form of the child tax credit and SNAP benefits. It goes into more details about these programs and, you know, the partisan opinions, so on and so forth. It's interesting. You know, you should read it if you would like to know more. Um, but the thing that I pulled out most, interest, most interesting from this article is how McGarvey pointed out uh, how child poverty impacts nutrition and education and how it is a strong indicator of child abuse and homelessness. So what I wanted to kind of have you guys comment on is that we all work or have worked with students who are experiencing poverty in various capacities. And so I would like for you to speak briefly about how your work supports these students. Mm -hmm. Whoever would like to go first. You can go first, man. Um, in my current role, especially for new families coming in, which is what I primarily focus on, um, I really have the opportunity to get to know them and I always, I joke at work about like, if you, we are quiet, parents will tell you whatever you want to hear. You just got to like, basically put yourself on mute and kind of let them go and you will get the answers that you're looking for. 
And so I try to just remind myself to just listen. And so in that, when I hear things or things come up, I try to make sure that um, we support in the best way that we can. And that can be smaller, that can be on a smaller scale, that can be on like, or that could be on a much larger scale. I remember when the pandemic hit, I was at a different school and we talked about how to pay a family's rent because they worked in the service industry and obviously they weren't working anymore, either parent. And we talked about like how to get them groceries and things like that. So I think as an administrator, um, I do my best to listen and then act um, when I hear things that are concerning. And then if I, sometimes you you catch a vibe or you're like, mm, this don't always seem right. Sometimes digging a little bit deeper and asking. And then also just building like trust and confidence. If a family confides in me, I am um, transparent in the sense of like, okay, I'm gonna take this to my boss and like this, this will be the plan of action after, but making sure that they know, like, I'm not going to stand in the middle of school and tell people, like, Mm -hmm. that isn't okay. So I don't know if that entirely answers your question, but. No, no, it it certainly did. Um, And the reason why, again, we say we give a full 360 view of education. So that exists in and out of the classroom Mm -hmm. and in different roles. and as always, you know, your um, experience in independent private schools is, you know, a voice that isn't heard, particularly for these families, right? And so thank you for sharing. Uh, what about you, Mike? Yeah, so I would say one of, so at Forte Community Music Project, one of, two of our biggest tenets are affordability and accessibility. And so we create programs for people who otherwise wouldn't have access to high quality music education, meaning they can't afford it or it's not within their, you know, grasp for them to do that kind of program. So a lot of what we do is we partner with community organizations that help, you know, low income people um, in black and brown areas across Chicago, South and West Side. There's so many things that go into poverty that we don't even think about as like, you know, an issue of poverty. So food insecurity, uh, lack to health, lack of access to healthcare sometimes, and dental care, um, and all these things that are basic human needs and basic human services that um, folks aren't getting access to that they don't even know they need access to. Um, and so, growing up in poverty for me meant, uh, you know, not having access to things when we needed them. So, you know, having this like uh, scarcity mindset of we need to collect as many things as possible because we never know when we might need it later. Um, and sometimes I feel that when I'm with some of my students is like, you know, just reminding them, hey, you can slow down here. Like you, yes, you have these goals and ambitions, but take some rest. Like, you know, take some time to, you know, enjoy the success that you've had um, and, you know, just kind of ride it out a little bit. Um, I think one of the things I see most often um, and what we really try to do is provide stability. So like Nay was saying, like, you know, you hear something from a child and, you know, sometimes you have to act on those things. Sometimes you just have to listen. Um, sometimes they don't have a trusted adult that they can code talk to and just have them listen to them and not try to fix things or solve things. Um, and so I know for us, one of the things we really focus on 
is social emotional learning and the things that the kids need outside the classroom for them to thrive inside the classroom. And so that's what we try to provide is a space for, you know, that hour that you're with us, nothing else matters, but you making music um, and to kind of be this little escape in this haven because uh, oftentimes, you know, the resources that they need um, aren't readily available and they have to go outside of their community sometimes to get those things. So we want to make sure that music is not one of those. Uh, I think it's a necessity, but uh, it's a want or a passion and a desire for most people. But uh, for me, it's definitely a necessity. It's so much a part of my self-care routine is like me getting to make music with people. And so we want to make sure that people don't have to go outside of their community to find that. So we want to uh, transition because you said something. And so I have this list of questions that I want to ask you about, about yourself, Brother Mike. Um, but we're going to skip to the middle. Because okay. you said something and I want, because I believe it and I know Nay believes it, but I would like for you to share in your words, why is singing and music mm important for students to learn? Yeah, uh, I'll start with music first. I think music is a basic human right and a basic necessity. So one of the things I think about is music is such a part of our daily soundtrack. You can't listen to an ad without there being music in the background. You can't walk down the street without hearing somebody blasting their radio down the street. Like It's such a part of our human everyday makeup but we tell people that you know you have to be talented in order to do that i don't believe in talent in that way i'll explain talent in a second i think singing in particular is really important for all students to have access to at least try and explore because it teaches you how to communicate in a different way so music has the ability to break down so many barriers both language barriers and cultural barriers and one of my favorite things to do is to sing in a choir so that may sound really silly and really like trivial, but for me, that's one of the only times in this world where I am judged based on nothing but uh, my ability. They don't care that I'm like a six foot four big black man. Like none of that matters. What matters is my ability to add and contribute to this greater cause, which is creating this, you know, symphony of sound. Uh, and for me, it's a really great escape. And so I think it's a travesty that people don't get the opportunity to explore that thing for themselves. One of the things I think about, especially with regards to talent is, I do believe in talent, but not in the way that most people believe in talent. I think talent is, we all have a unique set of skills or mindset that allows us to do something quicker. Not better, but quicker. And so each of us has, like for me, my body type, my way that I think about mathematics and calculations, made football something that I could pick up on really easily. Conversely, it made singing something I could pick up on really easily. So the way my body thinks about, you know, breaking down smaller things into bigger things was easier for me to learn, like how to read sheet music, easier for me to learn, you know, how to explore my voice in a different way. At some point, you run out of talent and you need to build skill. For me, that moment was going to college. I was naturally talented at singing. A lot of those things came very intuitively. But it was very clear to me, first day of school, oh, crap, you ran out of talent. Now you got to start building skill. I think sometimes people are afraid to build that skill, and they sort of stop right before that hurdle because they're afraid of what's on the other side of that. All right. That's great. That is great. Um, so 
I need to find another transition word. I was editing and I was here like sup. That's yeah. like my but sup for since we still using that right now. You were a young lad in the late 1900s on the west side of Chicago. You are so petty. So a child has not <laughs> told me yet that I was born in the 1900s. No, so, but I so, think I might leave my no, body so, if a child ever tells me that. Well, a child told me that. <laughs> That's why I started using it. She was like, wait. <laughs> she was like, you were born in the 1900s? <laughs> I was flabbergasted. Listen, I couldn't, I can't. <laughs> but anyway, so as <laughs> born in the 1900s on the west side of Chicago. Mm-hmm. West side? And I feel the my spirit rising, the abolitionist in me as you were at Harriet Tubman Elementary. <laughs> I know it's another name, but we just gonna, yeah. we're going we're gonna to roll with Harriet Tubman. Cause, we're going to roll with Harriet Tubman. My so, school got renamed uh, a few years ago to Harriet Tubman Elementary School. As it should have always been. As it should have always been, because mm-hmm. they found out that the scientist that it was named after was super racist and didn't believe black people were real. Yeah. I'm sorry. Do that research prior to. I was like three. I was like third grade. I didn't know. Like I don't understand. See, okay, that's a whole nother. Because I want to know what he thought we were if we weren't real. I can see. I heard like we weren't human. Yeah, yeah. But we were all the figments of white people's imagination. <laughs> I think he thought we were like genetically modified or like not. Wait, you know, he thought we was GMO people? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you Negroes are, you know, the the Egyptians and the Dogons, I mean, they were. Oh, man. They were GMO great. Negroes. I love it. But I didn't know they were GMO in. All right. <laughs> okay, let's let's roll this back. I'm keeping this. I'm keeping this in the script. Um, so please tell us about just, you know, your time as a young student um, and then kind of transition to like when you're Lincoln Park and, and, and in the, in the vein, I'm going to ask this question you can just answer it as you tell all this. If we gathered all of your elementary and high school teachers in a room, uh-huh. See, that want you to be truthful. What type of student were you? So just kind of speak to speak to that. Yeah. Uh, I'll start by saying I've always been a B student. I've always been a like, I need, I know what I need to do to get by. I'm not trying to be an A student. Fs and Ds scare me. So like, yeah, I was always a B student. Uh, so I, chan- I transferred schools in third grade when we moved. So sorry, in second grade when we moved. I went to Francis Scott Key on the west side, and then we moved like to like North Avenue and Cicero when I was in second grade, like halfway through the year. When we moved, I went to a overcrowded like school that was predominantly Hispanic, and that school was so overcrowded that they couldn't even hold us. So like they would have like four or five school buses come to that school every year and bus people to other overcrowded uh, schools in Humble Park. So I went to this school. I don't know. I think it was called Lowell. I was there for like half a school year. Got suspended for the first time. Got into my first fight. I was getting right, I, I like, need to. So 
You was out there throwing hands. I see it. Listen, tell you these West Siders are different. What? Why? Why was you getting in a fight, brother Pope? So what had happened was there were six black kids in this entire school. Everybody else was Hispanic, primarily Mexican. And in this school, the other black kid in my grade was in my class. He thought he needed to assert his dominance over me because I was always like a foot taller and like 100 pounds heavier than any other kid in the classroom. Like no exaggeration. So I guess he thought he needed to assert his dominance over me. So he just came up to me and just like backhanded, like pimp slapped me. Unprovoked in the hallway. I just saw Red chased after him into the classroom, punched him. He ran, picked up a chair and threw it at me. And then I picked up a desk and threw it at him. And that's why I got suspended. Because I hit him. It hit. It connected. It was all like 200 pounds of this like second grader throwing a desk at another little kid it was yeah wow that's intense did he also yeah. get in trouble because he hit you first he got in trouble but he didn't get suspended because he don't have aim facts okay <laughs> exactly. all right so yeah so <laughs> a lot to unpack there but <laughs> young man we gotta stick together all right if we, it's only two of us it's only two of us Okay, but oh. moving forward. So yeah. <laughs> you really ended up could... at the at, at Abolitionist Academy where you should always be. Yep. So, so I'll tell you, how I'll tell was you that? Story. I'll tell you a story about how I got there actually. So mm-hmm. my grades were suffering. I got suspended for the first time. My mom was like, That's not my son. My son's a B student. You know what I'm saying? Like he doesn't like he's clearly not being challenged here. So my mom had the wherewithal to go right up to the board of uh, the board of education and was like, This school is failing my son. He's not being challenged in the ways that he was at. He was at an accelerated gifted program at his last school. He's acting up because he's not being challenged in the classroom. And she was right. She was like, y'all need to find another school for my son. And she, they were like, no, he has to go to his neighborhood school. And she's like, no, y'all need to find another school for my son. Love it. They, they then were like, you should go look at this school in Lakeview. Like they are a performing arts elementary school, like a kind of a magnet school. Um, you should go look at them. They have a bus program, but the bus program's full right now. So, like, you'd have to get him there on your own. My mom, every day for, like, three years, took me to school every day on the bus. From the west side to Lakeview. Every single day. Picked me up every single day. And that was, like, a really big pivotal, like, moment of change in my education. So, like, I was at a school that was challenging me. I was at a school that really prioritized the arts. And that really prioritized... uh, Every single kid at that school has to participate in some kind of art program. Whether it's visual arts, performing arts, dance, you have to participate in some kind of arts program. So for me, that was my first time ever singing in front of somebody. Uh, And so joined Chicago Children's Choir who came to our school when I was in eighth grade. That's where I learned how to like read music, where I learned how to sing and play piano a little bit. And then found out that I could get into really good magnet schools through like their music program. Found out about Lincoln Park, which had a really great choir at the time, and they still do. They're one of the top choirs in the state. And so I was like, okay, cool. I'm going to go audition there. Got in. It was the right school for me. It was the right amount of, like, diversity because, like, it was, like, kids from the south side, the west side, kids from the north side that live in the neighborhood. It was also the neighborhood school for all the kids that were displaced from Cabrini Green. So, like, it was literally, like, a melting pot of everybody. 
It's also an international baccalaureate program. So it had some of like the smartest minds there. And so it was just like this melting pot of like all these different cultures and different experiences. And I loved it. Found out that, you know, I can get music scholarships my junior year of, of high school. And I played football all throughout high school. And I remember I told my football team like, hey, I'm taking off this season, my junior year, so I can go do choir. I'm trying to really pursue that. And my football coach pulled me to the side and was like, hey, I'm really happy for you. And I was like, oh, thank you. Like, that's unexpected. He's like, yeah, I'm happy that you finally realized that you're gay and like that you want to go do singing instead. And like, he wasn't like, like, he literally was not trying to be like, like diminishing to be like, he was like literally trying to be supportive. He's like, I'm so happy that you like finally. And I was like, I'm not gay. What are you talking about? He's like, well, like you're doing choir instead. Like, that's why. Right. And I was like, no, not at all. Like. I love singing way more than I like football. I'm going to have less concussions as a singer than I will as a football player. And I can get full rides for singing. I'm never going to get a full ride for football, like, at all. He was like, oh, okay. And so then I auditioned for a bunch of music Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. You're not just going to speed. You're not going to speed pass. Yeah. Uh, Okay. I'm just giving a, a moment for that to breathe. Yep. That is mad supportive. Like real supportive. (laughs) Yo, when I say doing the right thing for the wrong reasons, right. It's still the wrong thing. (laughs) For for all of you coaches who are listening, please let let you know that there are more ways (laughs) for BONs can get to college. Then, <laughs> oh man, well, I'm sorry that you had to go through that. And I'm laughing at the absurdity yep. that he like dug down deep in his heart. It was in like, spirit. I'm a lift, like, I'm talking about strong and wrong. Yep, strong and wrong. I'm going to lift up this big black man. I'm going to let him know that I stand with him. Yep. And his apparent homosexuality because. Because. See, that's how I know. That's how I know. That's how I know his playlist is trash. Because that means he ain't had no Barry White. <laughs> he, ain't, he ain't had no Gerald Levert. He had Marvin none of the, Gaye, Stevie Wonder. No, nothing. I'm just saying that. I know. I'm just saying the BONs with the sultry voices. Mm-hmm. Like true. Brother Pope here. Like, you can't yep. tell me that you got Eddie and Gerald on your playlist. And then you look at this man, it was like, well, obviously. If exactly. he wants to sing, and Ruben Stutter was popular at the time too, so I don't know why he was the man at the time. At the time, I'm he sorry like, for 2004. Come on now, <laughs> exactly. So like this man thought wow. he was doing it. He thought he was like, I'm being an ally. I'm gonna support <laughs> this young black man through his transition. Yo, you know like, yo. Yeah. All right, we gotta stay too much longer, but that's <laughs> that's crazy. Mm-hmm. Okay, yeah. so, <laughs> so you're lifted up by your team, and they and they. <laughs> so I jokingly say that I was Glee before Glee was cool. So like mm. I was on the football team, I was in like seven different choirs. I always had extracurricular activities going on, and I think my teachers would say that I was the kid in the class they had to control for, because. Um, 
Okay, so I, I, there's all kinds of educational theories that I'm not quite well versed on, but I heard a theory that like, you know, in a class, there's like alphas and betas and like the kids will fight over who that person is. But then there's this sort of third wild card who can change the mood of a classroom. They're the influencers. They're the people that can tell the people that are like the popular kids, like what to do. That was always me. So like, I was always the kid that was like, I'm social. Like I love meeting new people. I'm kind of always in different, you know, circle, so different social circles. And like, if I was having a bad day in elementary school, the class was having a bad day in elementary school. I didn't realize that at the time, but now as an adult, I'm like, Ooh, I was probably like the teacher's like person that they needed to control for. Because like, if I'm in a happy mood, the class is in a happy mood. But if I'm in a shitty mood, then like, you know, that's going to bring down, you know, the energy of the classroom and like, be a little bit infectious to the kids around me. But as far as my grades, I was always a B student. I always was, my strategy and everything, like all throughout college was start off the term with straight A's, get a few C's and maybe a D every now and then, in like the middle of the term, finish out strong, had a 3.2 GPA in college, 3.4 GPA in high school. So like always a B student. Okay. You're a man of your word. Mm -hmm. And so this led you to some program called Lawrence University. How did you find this Wisconsin gym? So that's a story that I love to share because it's also part of what motivates me to do the work that I do. So I didn't know that, you know, becoming a professional musician was even an option. So I literally thought that people in orchestras got better. I, so I didn't know that music schools exist. I thought it was just Juilliard or nothing. So I thought people who were in professional orchestras got better by just like shredding violin in their garage. Like I, I didn't know that they went to school and studied it. So found out that that was a thing. And I was like, okay, cool. Like, how do I get into that? So I went to a school that had a really great post-secondary coach. I forgot her name. Like I've been trying to remember her name for like the life of me, but she was really good at getting other colleges to come in and do presentations for us and letting us kids know when they were happening. So uh, I would always go to these presentations and, you know, just kind of feel, feel schools out. At the time, I still wanted to be a singing computer scientist. So I was looking for schools that had a really good uh, academic program as well as a really good music program. That knocked off a bunch of schools because I was trying to double major. Uh, most schools won't let you double major. And if they do let you double major, not into programs that are so vastly different. So finally found... Lawrence University, because a college counselor came through, a really dope black man named Muhammad Bey. Nobody showed up. I was running late to class. I didn't finish a paper uh, for my English class. And I saw the college counselor in the hallway, like begging people to come here about this college. So I was like, yeah, I'll come here. Let me go talk to my teacher. Hey, let me go tell her that I'm going to this college counselor thing. So that way I can spend some of that time finishing up this paper before I get into her class go into this session, ask him about the music program. And he's like, oh, we have a really great world-class music program. Our alumni go on to do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And then I was like, okay, well now tell me about your computer science program. Our computer science program is like one of the best in the Midwest. We do A, B, C, D, E, F, G. And I was like, oh, you answered both of those questions? Usually people skirt around one of those questions. I'd be like, tell me about your, you know, computer science program. They're like, our alumni go on to do blah, 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 blah. And they're like, okay, tell me about your music program. And they're like, we built a new building. So like to have somebody answer both those questions, I was like, oh, that's cool. 
went and I did three visits. Uh, two of them were overnight visits. One of them was my audition and fell in love with the school. I was like, this is the right school for me. And I was right. It's perfect school. Brother Mike just made a, a very valid point that I want everybody who has a young person going to college to make note of. The school in its entirety, looking at it solely as a sum of its parts, can be very misleading for most of our students. Because what matters most is the program. Yes, the school, the mission of values, the culture is important. But the dean of that college and the relationship that dean has and where those students who graduate from that program go matter more than the school in its entirety. You can have a great school. <clears throat> you have a great school with a trash music program and they will just be music teachers and that, and that will be it. And music teachers are great and necessary, but if they aspire to be more, then they might want to look at a little more competitive programs. So brings me to um, my second question. Um, it's not my second, it's like my hundredth question for you, but, um, two-parter again, because I like how you just flow with it. Oh, before you, before you go there, it, can I answer, <coughs> a quick, I'm going to interject real quick. So go ahead. Uh, the other thing I tell parents is I used to work for my college for like two years in their alumni relations and admissions office. One of the things I tell all parents that are looking for schools, don't let the price tag scare you. Find the right school for your student. Look at the price tag once you can accurately compare it to other schools. You can't actively compare. You can't accurately compare it to other schools until you get your financial aid packages back. So, like for me, it would have cost me more money to go to school at Illinois State University, which was my second choice, than it cost me to go to Lawrence, which was my primary choice. So, Lawrence University at the time cost like fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. Illinois State costs like $20,000 a year. By the time I got scholarships and financial aid, it would have cost me more money out of pocket every year to go to Illinois State University or to graduated with more debt. I didn't pay anything out of pocket to go to Lawrence. All my like things were covered by grants and loans. Um, and so like the cost for me to go to Illinois State University, A, over the long run would have cost me more money and B, would have been unaffordable for me. I would have to work 17 jobs in order to even afford that. And then the reason being is Jeremy mentioned something that really stood out to me, which is when you're looking at schools, think about what's on the other side of that degree. So if your school has really great program at XYZ, they're going to have really great alumni. And if that school is a really great school that's good at alumni relations, alumni are going to feel connected to you in a different way than if you go to like a commuter school where like, you know, people don't feel connected to their experience as a student there. So I know that for parents, sometimes it's hard to see the, you know, these $30,000, $40,000, $60,000, dollars price tags on a school and be like, oh, I could never afford that. Go through the process, go through financial aid and uh, apply, then make that decision. Find the right school for your student first, then make that decision. And then one last story there, you can always renegotiate your financial aid package. I didn't know that. So uh, the school I went to, one of my friends, me and her went to high school and college together. She's a white woman from Chicago. Her mom is a lovely white woman from Chicago as well, too. She taught me that, like, just because they give you one answer doesn't mean you have to listen to that answer. 
So apparently she went back up to the school and was like, hey, my daughter wants to go to school here. Can you let her in early admission? Because this is her top choice and she doesn't want to make that decision. They apparently were like, well, we could, but, you know, she has to wait for the, like, application process and, like, you know, auditions don't happen until, like, February. And she was like, no, you're going to make this exception. My daughter is a female and a very male-driven um, uh, major here. Um, you're going to make that exception. And they were like, okay. <laughs> so, like, you can always renegotiate. Um, that's the advice I give people is don't let the price tag scare you. And even then once you get that, you can always go back and renegotiate. In the words of Drake, wise words from a decent man. Very good. Very good. So you are in music and well, I'll, I'll kind of get to that part later, but I would like for you to speak on some of the unlikely places that your expertise has brought you to. And, and in that work in, I know you kind of touched on it, but please tell us about Forte Music Group, kind of like what you all do and kind of what your work entails. Sure. So I would say one of the things I'm most blessed for right now is that I can be 100% of myself everywhere that I go. So mm -hmm. now I work for myself and I have three jobs. I sing professionally, I run Forte Community Music Project, and then I'm also a development consultant. I teach small and mid-sized nonprofits how to fundraise through my own consulting firm called Pope Coaching and Consulting. Because I do three very disparate things, people are like, how do you do all those things? Like, that makes no sense. But in reality, all I do is wake up every day and I get to help people. Either I get to help people who are stuck in, you know, their financial, you know, situation at a nonprofit get to that next level and raise more money, or I get to help people, you know, discover their voice and discover this new talent through the things that I do with Forte, or I get to help people, you know, experience new emotions and process trauma through the singing things that I do. One of the things that's really awesome about that is that those three things now feed each other. So those three things put me into some really interesting rooms. So as a singer who sings with a lot of wedding and like corporate bands, and as a nonprofit fundraising professional, that means I now go to like a dozen galas a year. So I'm in the rooms with millionaires and billionaires and having conversations with them about how to change the world. Some of those, you know, venture into like lifelong friendships and other things. But like, um, if nothing else, it shows me like how to interact with other folks. Um, some of the singing gigs I do are for like really high profile leaders in the nonprofit sector sometimes. And so then I'm in the room rubbing elbows with other people in those ways. Um, and then some of the consulting things I do then lead to other music gigs or other community partnerships. So for instance, one of my clients from my consulting business is Chicago Human Rhythm Project. They are a nonprofit dance organization that not only just produces dance, but they also are an arts incubator for nonprofit arts organizations on the South side as well too, primarily dance and music nonprofits. So we are now partnering with them at Forte to teach out of their Mayfair Arts Center on 70, I'm sorry, 87th and Bennett. So like, all those things are fueling each other and, you know, creating really great opportunities to help better the communities that I'm trying to build. And I'm super grateful for that. So I just want you to know that you're really speaking to Nay's heart oh. because along with being a violinist, she is a dancer. Oh, wow. So she danced all over the city, um, not on 95th of Stony, but she was a real... 
real she's dancer. The, she's with the Bucky Boys. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Chicago Human Rhythm Project. They used to host like a um, almost like a conference or like workshops like up at uh, Northwestern every summer, uh-huh. and so. Yep. I would go up there, and then Mayfair has my heart forever. I danced yeah. there for many years as a kid. So yeah. that's enough. Yeah. Those organizations are still hanging in there. They are, and they are now uh, the community partners at Mayfair Art Center. So there is Russell Talbot Dance Company. There is Black Girls Dance, Deeply Rooted. That's all their home. So, uh, and there's another one that I always forget. I'm so sorry for them. They're a uh, they do African dance. Uh, they I, say that again. Is it Muntu? It's not. It starts with an N. It's like N W A G N W A G A. I think is how it's spelled. Um, Nagua, maybe. Um, I don't know. I might have just cut somebody out in patois. Sorry about my did. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's all their home now at the Mayfair Art Center, and so like they're trying to build more music programs there as well too. So starting last week, we started on literally on Thursday, uh, Forte Community Music Project is teaching voice lessons there once a week on Wednesdays. And then uh, Giuliani Ensemble is teaching string instrument lessons there. So they're teaching violin, viola, and cello over at the Mayfair Art Center. So definitely improving their programs there. So, yeah. And Mayfair, okay. all, that's where I started taking uh, violin. I won't say his name because he's a very private guy. But my private lesson teacher that I had for over a decade, he started off at, or I started with him at Mayfair. He was the the violin teacher there, so. Yeah, come back through. So, uh, and I'm sure I can tell this, but uh, the Mayfair Art Center is now owned by Chicago Human Rhythm Project. They bought it back in 2020 or 2019. Uh, And so they're trying to do major renovations so they have more space. Uh, to do, they want to build a theater inside of there as well too, um, like a little black box theater. They want to have more practice rooms. They're literally trying to grow that to be a community uh, hub for arts and dance um, in Chicago. So keep a lookout for that. Chicago Human Rhythm Project, chicagotap.org. Uh, so a little bit about Forte is Forte Community Music Project. I started it back in 2016 uh, with one goal in mind, which was to unite the world one voice at a time. Wanted to create space where everybody, regardless of their past experience or their financial ability, could start or continue their music education. So I grew up here in Chicago. I grew up in Austin. And unfortunately, I grew up in a neighborhood where little black and brown boys like us don't make it to age 25. I was always a little bit smarter than I should have been. And somewhere around the age of like seven or eight, read the statistic that African-American men are more likely to be in jail, prison, or dead by the age of 25. It was always something I internalized, but didn't really talk about until I turned 24. And, you know, unfortunately, I lost a few friends to gun violence here in the city. So as recent, as early as, you know, when I was a kid, as recent as like a month or two ago, found out one of my best friends from elementary school got shot and killed. So like, we talk about this a lot, but it's hard to get into some of the bad activities, like, you know, selling drugs, getting into gangs. If you're in a rehearsal space, five, six, seven hours a week, um, if that's where you're spending all your time and your creativity. We also talk a lot about self-care in this country, but rarely do we give people ways to actively practice self-care. I work hard. I work a lot. So much of my work hard, play hard mentality is the fact that I get to make music with other people. I'm at a point now in my career where I get to make music with people at a very high level. 
um, and I get paid really well to do the work that I do. That's another thing we don't talk about. It's like as a professional musician, I may get paid $400 for a gig where I sing for an hour and a half. That's really great money. That's better than going out and selling drug money. You know what I'm saying? Like I'm going to pay $400 just to like show up and sing someplace. No rehearsals, no anything else. Show up and sing. And so at Forte, we don't teach a specific style of singing. We teach a classical approach to whatever you want to do with your voice. So we have some singers that are heavy metal singers. We have some opera singers. We have some jazz singers. We have some singers who are professional musicians who just come to us when they want a check-in for an audition or a role that they have. We have students that take lessons because they want to get better at karaoke. We have students who take lessons because they want to feel more confident singing like in the congregation at church. And then we even have a grandma who's taking lessons so she can sing nursery rhymes to her grandkids. And I love that there's a place for all those people. We have two programs, uh, three, if y'all can help me fundraise for the third. We have two programs. The first one is uh, our community music project, where we physically go into schools, community centers, churches, et cetera, and we create pop-up music schools. That's what we're doing over at Mayfair Art Center. So uh, that's one of our satellite locations. Our second program is our virtual pay what you can voice lesson program. So we offer virtual online lessons and you tell us how much you can afford to pay. So our lessons are 35 bucks, but if you can't afford that, they're on a sliding scale based on whether or not your family would qualify for free or reduced lunch in your state. We just threw that out the window altogether. We were like, nope, for our virtual lessons, you let us know how much you can pay. And then our third program, which we haven't launched yet, which we're trying to raise funds for right now, is our Forte Honors Program. So we're building out this curriculum to help kids that are interested in pursuing degrees in voice with everything they need to be competitive for the top music schools. So like Juilliard, Columbia, Northwestern, uh, where else? There's so many great you know, music programs across the country, but oftentimes black and brown kids and low income kids don't have access to the skills they need to be competitive for those auditions. So we'll help kids, we'll take 10 kids and we'll help kids find the right school for them. Once they find the right school for them, we'll then help them with their application and their college essay. And then after that, we'll help them with their repertoire. So helping to choose the right audition pieces. Um, and then finally, once they get accepted into schools, we'll help them negotiate their financial aid package. Unfortunately, we don't have the funding yet to start that program. So uh, this year, we're going to start a test trial of that. And I want to do a big audition date in the winter. So either in December or January, where we host a spot where folks can come and do their audition repertoire for a panel of judges who can give them feedback and positive, uh, you know, constructive, you know, next steps. So I know for me, when I did all my auditions, I didn't have a voice teacher. Uh, one of my teachers pulled me to the side and was like, hey, you should learn this song and this song. And I was like, okay, cool. And then like, I learned those songs, sung them for him like once or twice. But the first time I performed my entire set was in front of an adjudicator that decided whether or not I went to that school. So those are the three programs we're launching. Well, those three programs that we have, and the third one that we're launching. Um, yeah, that's what we do over at Forte. So what I'm hearing is, I can come and take lessons. Back. So you can give me. Okay. All right. There you go. My my dream of being Barry White can finally come true. Yep. Also, I don't know if I can get you fully to Barry White, but we might get you to Barry Blanco. Like you know. The yeah. like, yo, yo, no, no, we're gonna keep it hip hop. Barry off white. Okay. Just just think about it. Just think about it. I'll let you live your dreams. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's all I'm asking. That's all I'm asking. Okay, so this is the last question. 
which is one of the most important questions. Right now, there is a young man. He's about 6'4", plays football. Okay. He, he might even be on the west side of Chicago. And he is passionate about music, about singing, but may not necessarily want to be the next raw wave. Because sure. he doesn't know all of the options that, that uh, are available to him, many of which you spoke about today. Mm-hmm. What are some things that he can do or that his educators, right, who are working with him, can can encourage him to do right now to kind of prepare so nate said something very important which is like representation is key so like if you don't see yourselves in the things that are ahead of you it's hard for you to view a pathway for you to be able to do something like that so i would say first off if like for teachers who are not music teachers who like see talent in a student encourage that talent um Unfortunately, one of the things we do in the Black community when we, you know, see talent in someone is we we poke at it, we tease at it. We say, oh, you think you're little Luther, right? Like, you know, like our way of showing love is through like, like razzing up somebody like talking crap. That can be discouraging to some kids. Like some kids might be like, man, like, you know, I really want to do this thing, but my family keeps like clowning me for wanting to go to choir. Keep that to yourself sometimes. You know what I'm saying? Like, we mean it with love because that's what we do, but like keep that to yourself sometimes. So like encourage that kid to go find resources. So one of the things that's great is that we live in a major city where there's tons of youth art programs and development programs. There's places like Merritt School of Music. There's places like us. Uh, there's places like Chicago Children's Choir. There's places like, uh, and I'm venturing into other things that are not just music now, but there's places like Free Street Media, True Star Media, there are all these nonprofit arts organizations that teach kids useful life skills in the arts. So I would encourage you to do some research and see if like one of those programs fit uh, that kid's needs. And then the other thing is just like, it's hard to find people who look like you in many of these spaces. And I know for me, uh, just sort of my general philosophy on things, like if I don't look around and see a role model for myself, then I usually decide that I want to be the role model for other people behind me. Um, That's a much harder role to sort of like, you know, trudge up, but I think it's worth it on the other side when you can then take those life lessons that you learned and share them with other young people or share them with other adults. Cause like, you know, we still got some unlearning to do from our childhoods. And so uh, I would encourage them to support that kid. Um, I would encourage them to uh, take the positive, um, aspects of like what that kid is doing and really lean into that because they're going to get the negative from every other place um singing is such a suggestive a subjective thing and unfortunately now because of things like american idol and you know what's that dancing with the stars everybody thinks that they're a, a critic and like you know oh that person's voice is trash whatever but like that person's doing the best they can that person has a very unique sound that sound just might not be for you uh, but that person may be the next, you know, Barry White, the next, you know, Marvin Gaye. But we just like crush their whole dreams because they don't sound like what we think they should sound like, which is auto-tuned. So that's my little soapbox. <laughs> so what he's saying is once I start singing, I'm going to sing the intro on the podcast and y'all can't cr- critique me. Correct. So thank you. Yeah, y'all need, y'all need a little intro. Y'all need some little like transition music for like all these segments. 
so we do have an intro Ooh. and we do have transition music so when we publish this you can hear it yeah. but we are definitely open to maybe working with some of your students your kids maybe grandma could could you know hook us up uh, that would be live that. that would be live all, all right I'm, yeah all i'm saying is that you need to sing that for us that are on the show that can't hear it in between little each transition, you need to be like, doo, 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 yeah, I got like a it's a what was it? What, what would you say? They look like, more like hip hop, jazz kind of that you know that intros and in, in, in transitions. You you'll hear it. I'll send you. Make sure you get the episode. We normally end with a book club, but we have a a music extraordinaire. So we're going to switch it up a little bit. Okay, I'm going to do that over because I know I can hear the door opening. So we normally have a book club, but because of you, Brother Pope, we're going to turn this segment to album club. And maybe I have some album club. So what is the greatest album you've ever heard? And what is the last album that you listened to? While you're thinking about it, I will shout out Diddy's album, mm, Chef's Kiss, beautiful. It just came out yesterday. So, please. I would say the, and this is not a popular opinion, but like when I think of a best album that I've ever heard, I think of an album that I won't make any skips on, that I can listen to from start to finish, no skips. For me, that's Bruno Mars' Doo-Wop and Hooligans, I think is what it's called. That's the one that has talking to the moon on it, like uh the lazy song that today I don't feel like that 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 whole album, it's like 38 minutes. I can listen to it from start to finish, no skips at all. Uh and then the most recent album I listened to was Porgy and Bess. I am entering into my what I'm calling my uncle era, my like TO era. Um, and I just bought a record player last weekend. Uh, I bought some records before I bought the record player. <laughs> and so that's uh, how it generally a... works. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I, <laughs> I bought a record player. So I'm excited to explore more albums. So like, I feel like in my generation, we had CDs and CDs were great because like, you know, it was still that sort of like, you know, artists thinking about a full album. Nowadays, artists are thinking about what like sound bites are going to catch on like Instagram and TikTok or like, you know, the radio they're not necessarily thinking about a full project, like except for Beyonce. Beyonce's whole album was like, this is what an album is like. And apparently Diddy's album. I keep hearing that Diddy's album is a return to what R&B albums used to be. So like, I'm excited to explore more albums where like it was thought out from start to end, how this would start, where the climax would be in this album, and then how this album's going to end. So uh, super excited for that exploration. All right, Nate. Why don't you share? You have a, a a last album. What's in your proverbial I Serato? I started listening to the Ride Wave album yesterday. So okay, that is that and Cleo Soul. I plan to get to this weekend. Okay, and I have some homework this weekend. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. And so, thank you, everyone. Uh oh. And so, thank you, everyone, for listening. And going on this journey with us, we are Everyday Educators on 1921radio.com. I would like to humbly thank you 
Brother Mike Pope for spending some time with us this Saturday. Please share with the people where they can find you, where they too can get some music lessons. Yeah. So you can follow me personally on all social media at Mike Pope Sings, because that's what I do. You can follow uh, Forte Community Music Project at Forte CMP on all social media platforms. And then you can follow my consulting firm at Pope Coaching on Instagram. And I think that's Instagram. Mm -hmm. Okay. And I can personally attest to uh, the work that he does. Uh, we met because he was consulting some friends of mine. Um, and then we worked together to do an internship to build out an internship program for some for some young kids to learn all the things that he's uh, talked about today. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And if you would like to follow us and learn more about what we do here on Everyday Educators, please hit us up on Instagram at Everyday Educators. You can catch us on the Spill app at Educate Every Day. And if you want to reach out to us personally, email us at info at educate everyday.com this has been our show i'm jeremy this is nay and mike and we out y'all peace peace and so that's it <laughs> <laughs>